Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. After a long couple of months, it's finally feeling like we're getting back to business as usual. But it's not the usual at all. At Missoula's Wingate, we are, as always, committed to giving you a relaxing stay at a great value. But we're also balancing the new guidelines, like maximum pool occupancies and increased disinfecting, to protect your health with a never-ending pledge to make you feel at home when you're not. If you find yourself on the road in the Missoula area, please consider staying with us at Missoula's Wingate. Nuanas now, your one-stop shop for all things sports and a little soul music, especially with Regime Seabrook running shotgun with me, Coulter Nuanas. Thanks so much for joining us. Missed anything in the first hour of the show? Great first hour. I always love rapping with Rajim. We talked about the psychology of working. We also talked about the psychology of Olympic athletes and threw in some NBA talk in between. Also had some Olympic trivia questions as well. You can find all of that content on the Nuanas Now podcast, N-U-A-N-E-Z. You'll find it there. Please rate, review, subscribe, five stars, uh, preferred. Go check out our YouTube channel as well. It's pretty fun. N-U-A-N-E-Z. It'll find you. That's It's a it's a one-of-a-kind last name, so it'll get you there. Please subscribe to that as well. You want to be a part of the show, 888-1029. That's 406-888-1029. I got tickets to tonight and tomorrow's Missoula Paddleheads games, so let's give some away right now. Thursday night against the Boise Hawks. That's uh, tomorrow night. Got four tickets for you. Give us a call, 888-1029. I want, you're going to want to go on a Thursday because Thursday, Thirsty Thursdays. You're going to get $2 off of every beer you drink. It's going to be hot. You're going to want some beverages. Quench. But uh, Thursdays are the best nights to go. So if you want to check it out, 
Give us a call right now, 888-1029. Reese, caller number one. We'll get tickets to Thursday's Missoula Paddleheads game. Mm-hmm. By the way, the podcast probably presented by Blackfoot Communications, Sports Bet Montana, and Wingate by Wyndham Hotel. It's time now for our ESPN Roundtable. This is usually our long-form interview segment of the week. So we're going to interview Regime. <laughs> we, uh, there's a lot of people out of town right now. It's understandable. I think that uh, when 4th of July falls on a Sunday and you're not going to really get any bumper days off, you just say, well, I'm just going to take the week off, especially when it's going to be 100 degrees, just hit the road and uh, get out of town. So uh, I understand why. This is also the time of year, too, where coaches for college football, college basketball, this is when they're out. They just got done with camps for college football. Mm-hmm. Fall camp doesn't start till next month, so it's like two, three weeks of Bye. free time. So nobody really interviewed, but that's okay. We have a fun conversation coming up because uh, actually the thing that got me thinking about this, the Ringer Podcast Network, which is run by Bill Simmons, who is uh, definitely one of my biggest influences in my journalism career. He's sort of the godfather of new age journalism as it is. Uh, he is the head of the Ringer, and they have a gigantic podcast, podcast network, excuse me, uh, Bill Simmons most famously wrote the Book of Basketball, which is a great uh, sort of chronicle of the history of the NBA. I have multiple copies myself. It's one of my favorite books. Sort of an encyclopedia uh, of the history of basketball, particularly from the National Basketball Association perspective. Well, Simmons's podcast network has continued to grow, continued to grow. And uh, then 10 years after he wrote the Book of Basketball, he put out a Book of Basketball podcast series. Uh, the first iteration was sort of a, a rehashing of the last 10 years and how it's influenced what he has as his pyramid. He wrote his pyramid, which is his ranking of the top 100 players in NBA history. But over the last 10 years, guys have moved and, and moved around in that ranking. You know, guys like Chris Paul and, and LeBron James are a, a lot higher than they were back in 2010. And uh, other guys maybe fell out. I mean, Dwight Howard's probably not where he was ranked back in 2010. So uh, Simmons did a podcast series is sort of an epilogue of this. Well, the Book of Basketball is now has uh, several different podcast teams making podcasts, the latest of which is called What If? The Len Bias Story. And I knew about the Len Bias story since I was a kid. I remember hearing about you know the, the once great college all-star from Maryland who was the number two overall pick by the Boston Celtics the year after they had won the NBA championship and how this was going to be the thing that helped the, the Celtics dynasty carry Continue. into the 1990s. Yep. And then a day after he was drafted, Len Bias overdosed on cocaine. That in itself, I mean, this podcast is four, I mean, four parts into this series now. And two of the parts are all about the analysis of cocaine in society during that time and the misperceptions and false narratives, especially surrounding uh, young black men in America. We're going to get to that part of it in just Mm -hmm, a minute. mm -hmm. But this got me thinking about a more positive train of thought here, which was Michael Wilbon was at the Washington Post at the time when Len Bias was starring at Maryland. And Michael Wilbon is adamant. As somebody then, Michael Wilbon, who went on to work for the Chicago Sun-Times and cover the Chicago Bulls during Michael Jordan's heyday, he is adamant that Len Bias was a better college player than Michael Jordan. I'm going to agree with that. Man, and that's crazy. 110%. That's crazy to think. So then I got to thinking of the ACC and the Big East. You are from New York. And New so I, New York. I, was, I was thinking about the old Big East and the old ACC because the 1980s was the golden era of college basketball. It's undeniable that that's a fact. The NBA's rise had was only starting. Mm-hmm. College basketball was it. The guys who were, everybody used to stay for four years. So the guys who were the four-year stars were much bigger stars. Like Patrick Ewing was a bigger star in college than most of the guys who were the stars of the NBA at the time because Michael Jordan hadn't happened. Magic Johnson and Larry Bird was only starting to happen. So guys like Ralph Sampson and Patrick Ewing were bigger 
in college than they were, you know, even until the NBA exploded like it did with the Dream Team in 1992. But regardless, they got me, this got me thinking of that golden era, the who, what's, when, where's, and why's, mm. but also some of the best players. You were had a sort of a firsthand uh, no, um, seat to watch all this because you were growing up in that part of the wood, that that neck of the woods at the time. Back in the day, man, it, twenty bucks. Like, and I remember doing this: go into Madison Square Garden at nine o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, and not leaving till eleven o'clock at night. Because we would watch Villanova versus Eaton Hall, St. John's versus Syracuse, Georgetown versus the world. And so for, sweet, man. I know. For, and, and what we didn't know at the time were we were watching future Hall of Famers in college, like just didn't know it, but appreciated it because a lot of these guys were lo- also local legends. Like before a lot of cross the country recruiting took place, like you... If you played in the Big East, you were usually from the Northeast or at least right. the Southeast. Like there was so much more regionalized local fanfare surrounding these guys. So growing up, it was just ridiculous, and it was good basketball. Right, like really, really good, good basketball. basketball. I mean, some of the best coaches in the country at the time, historically. What was your perspective of John Thompson at that time? To me, John Thompson just came out with a new book, and that made, that's what made me think of it because John Thompson. Um, he had a different sort of influence on college hoops and then subsequently uh, the state of a race in America, I think, but then almost any other coach during that time. Well, it was it was interesting. Head black coach of a, of a, a very Catholic school. For sure. So you have two what at the time some people might consider cross-cultural uh, uh, overlap, right? No question. You also had a very Catholic school with a predominantly black student body when it came right. to, athletic, to, ath- um, to ath- being an athlete. Yep. So you had a lot of interesting things going on counterculture and subculturally. Well, he was also recruiting more heavily from the projects than maybe any coach. And the D.C. area has some of the best prep sports in the country. But so so many guys can't make it out because there's so much violence there. The gentrification and and the segregation that exists in certain parts of Washington, D.C. is almost second to none in any city in America. People don't really realize that because they only see the White House and Congress. They don't see the, the projects, the Third Ward, all of these things. I've known some guys that grew up in D.C. too, and they talk about that. But that's the other dichotomy here, right, is that John Thompson was not just recruiting black players to Georgetown. He was recruiting guys from very troubled areas. Mm-hmm. But then, like the stories go, John Thompson basically had almost a mafia in D.C. He had guys that were watching all his guys. No matter all what party time. you're at, you're going to leave that party and there's going to be a car waiting for you because Coach Thompson knew that you were there and he's going to get you home safe. Or, yep. you know, you're getting called in the office the next morning, extra conditioning because I knew you were there. My guy saw you, but he also helped protect those guys. And it's why, by and large, he was able to take guys with uh, maybe uh, jaded backgrounds and turn them into productive, uh, I mean, more than productive. They they had a, one of the great strings of number one picks and things like that over a 10-year span of any college in the in the history it of the It was Center U, like some of the right. best centers. I mean, you had Dikembe, Alonzo, Patrick Ewing coming For out, sure. and then when you go back to some of these quote-unquote pet projects, the first one that comes to my mind is Allen Iverson. 100%, 100 man. You know, People forget, man, Allen Iverson was, was imprisoned when he was... Allen Iverson was perhaps the greatest prep athlete in the history of the United States. And that, that's not, I think he's the, still to this day, I think he's the only person to win National Gatorade Player of the Year for both football and basketball. Basketball, yeah. I, I think that still remains true. Yeah, the only other person that might be close could be Randy Moss. Randy Moss is exceptional for sure. But uh, Iverson 
was at a bowling alley where there was this big brawl. Oh, yeah. And there was some chairs thrown, some punches thrown. The video evidence shows Allen Iverson doing nothing of that sort. He was basically ducking and trying to get out of there because he knew what he had to lose. He was a cultural phenomenon at that time already as a 17-year-old kid. Well, then he goes to prison for a while. He gets out, and the only coach that will touch him is John Thompson. Well, he mm-hmm. goes and plays for John Thompson. He becomes the number one pick in the NBA draft. The rest is history. history. One of the great cult heroes of all time. But I just I think that Coach Thompson... His influence is acknowledged a little bit, but to me, like, Howard Schellenberger at Miami, the way he set the table for what then Jimmy Johnson and Dennis Erickson did by going into Liberty City, recruiting a disenfranchised... Straight went into the hood. Don't even... Don't, don't, exactly. Don't, he went straight to the hood. Don't... don't, don't exactly. Have, I mean... Don't color it those guys, those, those guys from the U, though, they talk about like Coach Schellenberger when he would go in with his pipe and this the gravitas that he had and how, you know... He was one of the only guys that could walk straight into the hood because he had the presence to do it. And he had the confidence to do it. And now he's pulling guys out of Liberty City and the other um, rougher areas of Miami. And bam, all of a sudden here you build one of the great college football dynasties. But I, th- I think that John Thompson, he deserves so much credit for uh, the impact that he had from that perspective. Yeah, the, what gets overshadowed is just going back to the seven big Catholic schools in the Big East. Like that is just so overshadowed by money yep. and religion yep. and social social economic status. So... Uh, John Thompson was a pioneer in his own right and uh, has produced some of the best basketball players this world has ever known. So John Thompson at that time was one of the pinnacle figures in the Big East, but there was many from both Georgetown and around the league. So take me through some of your great uh, players and uh, characters from the Big East during the 1980s. Because I think that when you're, if you're doing the power rankings of the 1980s in terms of conferences, I think it's ACC 1A and Big East 1B. But these were the dominant conferences in the country during the golden era. And I felt like it basketball. flipped year by year. For like sure. It just, it just flipped. Like when Ewing was at Georgetown, it was the Big East. But within, you know, when you have Michael Jordan and James Worthy at North Carolina, it becomes the ACC. ACC. Absolutely. So my favorite players are... My top 10, right? No particular order. Mark Jackson. St. John's guy. Chris Mullen. Yep. St. John's guy as well. Donnie Marshall. Daniel Marshall's a great one. But he left into the 90s a little bit, but he was a late 80s, early 90s guy. But yeah, he was... He was uh, Daniel Marshall's one of those great guys where he was a little bit before his time because he could step back and shoot it a little bit. Uh, he was even a little bit ahead of Rasheed Wallace, who was kind of one of the pioneers of being a big who can stretch the floor. Yep. If Daniel Marshall played now... Man, he'd be, he'd be such a great pick-and-pop uh, power forward, right? And he was good in the NBA. I think some people think maybe a little bit of a, a disappointment because he was a top-three pick, I think. Uh, but he was you know, still a 10-plus-year solid. Event. He was solid, solid. But he would thrive in the NBA right now. Oh, especially with how they don't play defense. Right. Yo, he would be, let, me, let me just finish, brother. Malik Seeley. Ooh, Malik Seeley's a good one. Come on now. You can't forget him. And then yep. Patrick Ewing for my first five. But Patrick Ewing is very good. And then I went, believe it or not, even though I hated the team he played on professionally, Sherman Douglas. Yes, that's a good one. Ray Allen. Ooh, Ray Allen is Ray, Ray Allen's 90s, but but still, Ray Allen UConn is, is a good one. Derek Coleman. Derek Coleman's a great one from Syracuse. Alonzo Mourning. Yep. And then I rounded it out with Allen Iverson. Very good. So my, so my, uh, my best Big East players... Were Chris Mullen and Patrick Ewing, uh, Mark Aguirre, who played at DePaul in the early '80s. Uh, he was that's a good one, absolutely good. Um, but uh, some of my other best from just that entire era of college basketball. And this brings me kind of back to then the conversation about Len Bias. This nuance now it's our ESPN Roundtable presented by Paradise Falls in Missoula. Doing any rec sports or any sort of uh, softball or golf or whatever. I know everybody's outside. 
Go quench your thirst or meet up with your team or whatever beforehand, afterwards, whatever, at Paradise Falls. Paradise Falls is a great place to watch the NBA playoffs as well. They have a Sports Bet Montana kiosk so you can place your sports bets and have some fun. The casino is open. They have two late happy hours, breakfast, lunch, dinner, 18 draft beers, 30 big screen TVs. Go check out Paradise Falls in Missoula, 3621 Brook Street. Paradise Falls, Missoula's coolest hotspot and the proud presenter of the ESPN Roundtable. The, the I think that the the I think this guy is probably one of the five best college basketball players of all time, and I think that he is perhaps the most tragic tale in the history of the NBA. I I would say that probably Lou Alcindor, who then became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and probably Bill Walton, probably Oscar Robertson, and Bill Russell are the only guys that are better college players than this guy, David Thompson from North Carolina State, and it's it's a similar uh, but not quite as tragic story. As Len Bias, David Thompson got fully caught up in the the lifestyle of playing for the New York Knicks <laughs> when cocaine was just running rampant through the NBA and through New York City. Just the city overall. And and this guy was, I mean, he's they call him the Skywalker. It's, it's the legend of you put a quarter on the top of the backboard, David Thompson can leave you some change. He perhaps was the best leaper in the history of the NBA. And his career came to... Uh, a halt and then a tragic end because he fell down the stairs at Studio 54, presumably under the influence. There was no proof of that. But, I mean, he was at the most infamous club in the country at the time at 4 in the morning, but he tore his ACL, and he was never the same after that. He faced multiple cocaine suspensions Mm -hmm. while he was in the NBA. But bias is the ultimate tragedy from that era. To be drafted and then to overdose the night after you're drafted uh, is just unspeakable tragedy. But guys like David Thompson, Michael Ray Richardson, guy, uh, John Montana Lucas. Montana guy right I mean, there. Yeah, John Lucas. I mean, those guys were all uh, such tragic tales. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just easy to forget what could have been, right? Like, Michael Jordan deserves all the credit in the world for becoming the GOAT. What if he would have had to battle against Len Bias and David Thompson his whole career? He wouldn't. I, I'll, I'll be honest. When you look at the physicality, the physical nature of what Len Bias was versus what Michael was in college, Michael looks like a little boy next to Len. Like, Len Bias had LeBron James' body right. in college. I mean, Len Bias is a good probably two to three inches taller than Michael Jordan. Thicker. This bot, this podcast that I keep referencing, which is available on the Ringer Podcast Network, shameless promotion for you guys. So maybe you're listening sometime. You want to pick up this podcast, but <laughs> regardless, um, he was more pro ready in college than Michael was coming out. Every single person that they interview for this about Len Bias, they say, "What did you? What do you first think of when you think Len Bias?" And they all say, "The jump shot. He had the most beautiful, <sighs> elevated Stroke. above his head jump shot of anybody." Ever. I mean, Michael Wilbon said he had the best jump shot he has ever seen. And so uh, I, I just think it, it's so crazy to think what could have happened. Maybe the Celtics dynasty never ends. Because the Celtics dynasty did have uh, basically from 1986 through when they won it with KG and, and Ray Allen and, and uh, Paul Pierce in 2008, where they were pretty much dormant. There was there was, there was was some competitive Celtics teams, but they were not championship contenders like Mm-mm. they once were because they were so dominant in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. But you wonder if, if Len Bias would have uh, been able to carry the torch for the Boston Celtics. It would have kept going, buddy. It would have kept going. Len Bias was, I remember being a little dude watching him. And it was the only time my dad didn't watch the Knicks or St. John's. It was when Maryland, it was the only time the Terps were in the house. Because Len Bias, he was a four-year player, All-American all four years. Like, just demon on both sides of the ball. And just, 
just transcended what I thought an athlete was at the time, especially with how big he was. Unbelievably big, unbelievably tragic, his death. Uh, other guys that I thought of from around college basketball in the 80s, uh, in no particular order, I almost always think of these guys, partially because of the the, spec, the spectacle that they were when they were at Loyola Marymount, but also partially because of the tragedy that was Hank Gathers. Ooh. Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball were part of uh, Paul Westfall's great Loyola Marymount teams. Uh, Bo Kimball, uh, then uh, Hank Gathers died of a heart attack in the middle of his career uh, in college. In college, yep. And then Bo Kimball went on to carry on his legacy by shooting all his free throws the following season with his left hand. And it's one of the most indelible images in all of college basketball. But those guys, I mean, that was the run-and-gun offense in its very origins. And they were the first college team that was really scoring more than 100 a game. They really set the tone for what the UNLV teams under Jerry Tarkanian became in the early 1990s. So uh, those teams were super fun to watch. Other guys, in no particular order from the 80s that I mentioned from college hoops, uh, James Worthy from North Carolina, Michael Jordan from North Carolina, Isaiah Thomas, who I actually think Isaiah Thomas is properly rated as an NBA player, but I do think that his acumen and his accomplishments as a college player should be added to his resume and... Uh, I don't think he gets enough credit. I mean, he won a national championship at Indiana. He was perhaps the greatest overall player to ever play for the general Bobby Knight. And so I think that Isaiah Thomas gets a little bit underrated. A couple other guys that I have that were such quintessential college players that did they had moderate success in the NBA, but such amazing college players. Wayman Tisdale, who was probably the first great player from Oklahoma. Ooh, good call. Danny Manning, who was a phenomenal player at Kansas and was a good player in the NBA, but not, not nothing like he was when he led Larry Brown's Jayhawks to the national title in the late 80s. Daryl Griffith. Was another one, Dr. Duncan Stein. Dun- I was going to say. Louisville. I mean, yeah. he was a phenomenal college player. Sidney Moncrief at Arkansas. Moncrief was great with the Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA as well. Um, and then finally, maybe the guy that, because he was, he was just fine in the NBA, but he was larger than life during his career in college. Maybe the guy that is, is uh, maybe remembered as one of the greatest college players, but maybe one of the guys that did not live up to expectations and that's Ralph Sampson. Ralph Sampson was was he was he was Kareem he was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Lou Alcindor as it were reincarnate when he was at Virginia. And then in the NBA he was fine, he was good, but he was nowhere near what he was. I mean he was such a spectacle at 7 foot 4. Probably the greatest shot blocker in college basketball history. I mean Ralph Sampson is yeah. he holds a unique place in the memories of uh all-time great college basketball players, especially from that era. Oh, one more guy that I had to mention is Glenn Rice. I was I was going to the big dog. Glenn Robinson, you're thinking, is big dog. Glenn Rice from Michigan. Oh, from Michigan. Who, who gotcha, led, who gotcha, led gotcha, Michigan gotcha, to gotcha, first gotcha, national yeah. championship under Steve Fisher, and they went on to have a great career for the Charlotte Hornets. I actually believe was on a championship team, maybe two with the Los Angeles Lakers later in his career. Uh, but Glenn Rice is a, a very good one as well. That is a good one. Any other 80s guys that you can think of that you remember that were super sweet? Uh, I'm going to go obscure. Guys like Ronnie Cycli. Ronnie Cycli's good. Was really good. Was Dana good. Barros. Dana Barros was very was good. pretty good. Um, Mark Bryant was pretty good. Um, Reggie Williams. Mm. He was nice. He was all nice. Of, all of those are very, very good choices yeah. as well. Um, I, I also, of course, had your Big East guys on. Oh, yeah, I already mentioned that. But uh, oh, a couple others that uh, I didn't mention that I thought were uh, maybe misremembered a little bit. Danny Ainge was a, a good player in the NBA, but he was a phenomenal player at BYU. 
Uh, Danny Ferry, also a phenomenal player. And then Kerry Kittles. Kerry Kittles, a good one. Oh, uh, man. Sean Elliott, another good one. Sean Elliott at Arizona, who what? went on to be a champion with the San Antonio Spurs, yes, but he sir. was definitely a, a, an all time great college player. Yeah. I've, as you said, now it's like starting to ripple more as I kind of go back in the annals of my mind. Um, gosh, there's so many. There's so many. There's just there's too many to list and not enough show. So the evolution of the way that basketball fandom has gone, I think that. The NCAA tournament remains the spectacle when it comes to basketball, period. It is, period. it is the number one event that any basketball fan or even moderate fan will watch. Far beyond the NBA Finals or the Olympics, period. for sure. But I think the NBA, by and large, is much more popular now than college basketball. Yeah. Is that a good thing for the overall state of the game? No, because I think, I think what happens... We look at the fanfare of, of, and to some degree, hyperbole of the NBA, and we forget like how good college basketball is, the fundamentals, the actual hard work and the effort that put into it. When I look at the NBA now, and I love the NBA, don't get me wrong, it's just it's like watching an all-star game every night. They just happen to you know, be on one team wearing the same jerseys. What I like is the grit of college basketball. The, sure. the We are playing for something other than a paycheck. If they were, though, I would appreciate it a lot more. The highest level of college basketball, they are only pay, playing for a paycheck. The paycheck's just going to get delayed. Yes. That's my biggest problem with college hoops. I hope that when the one-and-done rule is done away with, which will happen in two years now, thank you, um, that it will make college basketball go back to what it was. Because on one hand, I actually think that it's a little bit unhealthy to have guys be as big a stars as they could become in college in the 80s. I mean, Patrick Ewing was the man. Like, he was the man in the, the country. But he was as big a star. When Georgetown played North Carolina in the 1984 National Championship game, Patrick Ewing was light years ahead of Michael Jordan as far as how big of a star he was. He was one of the biggest stars in all of the world of basketball as a as a, as a The Hoya Destroyer. So that that in itself, I don't know if that's necessarily healthy. I, I do think that plays an influence on how you have sad cases like Len Bias. That amount of of uh, publicity for young people, I think that's a little tough. When you treat a young man like a god, you're going to have issues. That's exactly right. But then I think on the other hand, though, it would be nice to have... Because right now, it's basically... Three-quarters of the guys that are going to be drafted in the NBA draft, they have no reputation whatsoever. I don't even know who some of these guys are. Like, They're not going to start becoming stars or being built into stars until third, they're in the NBA. Second, third year. And so I do think that there's a missing link there. I think that college basketball could be better, uh, but I also don't think that the return of when college basketball players are bigger stars than NBA guys, if that returned, I don't think that that's a good thing either. No, I, it's, it's, you got to find the right balance. What I do like about having these young men stay in school is it's better for the game. It's better for the development. When I see some of these guys that are one and done or they're coming straight from high school, Unless you're Kevin Garnett, like you're or LeBron, like it just doesn't bode well for your future. Um, seeing seeing a lot of these guys that are really underdeveloped, and then the game just isn't as fun to watch. When you watch the pros and some of these younger guys, they're they're learning how to become a better basketball player in the NBA. I want to see a bit more spit and polish coming out of college, which then enhances the game. Which is why when you look at the '80s and '90s, the NBA was great because guys were more pro ready and less. Popular, if you will. Nuana is now 1029 ESPN Missoula, statewide television, SWX Montana TV. Uh, text from one of our uh, loyal listeners, Don. 
couple of his favorite players uh, from college basketball's lore. Phil Ford, who was a great player at North Carolina in the late 1970s, and Butch Lee, who was, I believe, the most outstanding player of the 1977 Final Four at Marquette. Uh, also great uh, additions to the conversation as well. Because, you know, you talk about 80s, those late 70s guys, too, though, were the guys that really thrust college basketball into the forefront because the number one factor to the rise of college hoops and this this arms race that existed during that time mm-hmm. was the retirement of John Wooden. Yes. No one touched the, t- the title. While the Wizard of Westwood was there, then when he finally retired, it opened the door for then these random, quote-unquote, random schools at the time, like Marquette, you know, at that time, North Carolina had, hadn't had that much of a seat at the table, but then they had this massive rise, and then all of a sudden you see the rise of the ACC and the Big East, and you wonder if that would have happened if um, John Wooden would have still been on the West Coast. Well, the, you know, one, one thing, we one X factor that we forgot to talk about, especially with the ACC and the Big East, was television changed it. That's so, so true. The, so the like, television contract. Right. So the, And then the advent of ESPN and how they hooked up with the Big East. And it all came out of the, it, all, it was Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey. So like we, that was one thing we to- totally didn't explore was the advent of, of television contracts. All of a sudden, if you were on television, that made you want to go to that school. So you had, no the, question. you had this, this push, this surge of guys coming from West Coast, Mid-East, Midwest, going to the Northeast or the Southeast to play basketball because no one else was on television. If you were, it was at 2 o'clock in the morning when the scouts were already in bed. I mean, even the NBA, the NBA finals were, were tape delayed and not on live TV until the mid-1980s. The early, like when Magic Johnson had his uh, famous Game 7 where he filled in for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and led the Lakers to the title as a rookie... They were playing Heidi. They're not even. They that's not even on TV. No, man. it was. They were playing Heidi. Like they cut the championship off and played. Like I don't care about no Heidi. Show me some magic. Reach over there on that bookshelf. See the in the in the uh, third row the book that says ESPN right there. It's right next to the book of basketball. It's right in the center of the books there. Yep. Bring that one over here. I'll show this off real quick. Uh, this is. ESPN. These guys have all the fun. It's inside the world of ESPN. It was uh, written oh, probably about 10 years ago at this point, but it's an oral history of the advent of ESPN. And they talk about when they first acquired the satellite that would allow them to broadcast anything 24 hours a day. That had not been a, a, a reality for any network period. And then there's so many funny stories about when they're building um, the network and getting turtle racing and you know, badminton and trying to just fill content. They had Magic the Gathering Championships exactly. on ESPN too. So then they talk a lot about though when the, the a formative part of this book is to talk about the Big East mm-hmm. and when they snagged that contract. Yeah. And you're talking about those afternoons at Madison Square Garden where ESPN could broadcast all day. multiple ESPN games because it's all in single site. And yes. then all of a sudden you're building the brand, you're building the lore. A fun conversation. ESPN Roundtable. Nice job. Rajim Seabrook. Joining me, Coulter Nuanas. It's proudly presented by Paradise Falls in Missoula. You need a place to watch the NBA Finals? Go check out Paradise Falls. Big game. Can Paul George help the Phoenix Suns hang on? If you want to check it out, go to Paradise Falls tonight. 3621 Brook Street. They have 30 big screen TVs, 18 draft beers, and two happy hours. An early and a late happy hour tonight here on a Wednesday. We're going to answer that question about Paul George right after this. Keep it here on Nuanas Now, 1029 ESPN Missoula. Dude, I love...
Blackfoot Communications is actively supporting the communities we serve across Montana and Idaho. We are installing hundreds of miles of fiber in our service territories, increasing the broadband experience in our rural communities. We are delivering remote workforce solutions for our business communities. We are creating new, innovative solutions for our local entrepreneurs and enterprise organizations. Learn how your company can benefit. Call today at 541-5000 or go to blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications. Connect to more. One, two, three. That is now on ESPN Radio. I have a little bit of a conflict here, uh, emotionally. Snuana is now 1029 ESPN Missoula. SWX Montana Television, statewide TV. Broadcast to you live from the Northwest Motorsport Studio. Northwest Motorsport, located on the corner of Stevens and Mount here in Missoula. Go check them out. They have the largest inventory of trucks anywhere in the Pacific Northwest. Rajim Seabrook joining me, Coulter Nuanas, here in studio. You were getting double audio, weren't you? I was. Sorry about that, man. I hit the wrong button. Oh, okay. I was just wondering. I know sometimes when we uh, do a sound check with uh, Jeff Safford, Missoula Paddleheads, voice of the Missoula Paddleheads, that uh, it gets a little double, so it's all good. I uh, appreciate it. I'm only at four shots of espresso today, not seven, so I'm not on my full game like some of us here today. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so here's my here's my conflict. I, as people that have listened to this show now, uh, as we go into uh, year number four of me being a part of ESPN Missoula. I guess completing year number four, going going into year number five here uh, in August. Happy anniversary. The uh, I love Dave Matthews Band. I know that Dave Matthews Band is heavily scrutinized in certain circles. Uh, Dave Matthews Band experienced a similar phenomenon that a many bands of the 1990s did where they... Uh, Became so popular so fast that they became a caricature of themselves. Mm. I don't think Dave Matthews gets enough credit for fully pivoting from that and writing uh, Before These Crowded Streets, which was basically a uh, a jazz album, as it were, <laughs> and it completely pivoting away from being sort of the the uh, hippie frat boy music that they were. I mean, it, that song right there was from their debut album. They're awesome. They're phenomenal musicians, regardless. I have loved it, the Dave Matthews Band. It's something that I share with a couple of my best friends. Uh, it's just what we listened to when we were in college, and uh, I've always continued to be a huge Dave Matthews Band fan. So then in the last couple summers, I guess summer of 18, summer of 19, I had the opportunity to go to the Gorge and go to the Dave Matthews three-day festival. Great venue. Super awesome, man. I mean, it was one of the most uh, emotionally uh, fulfilling performances I've ever been to. It was super cool to experience it with some of my best friends and, and just be there for the first time and just see just the passion that Dave performs with. But my conflict is this. The uh, Montana Grizzlies open up their football season uh, on September 4th in Seattle, Washington against the University of Washington. You dub. Uh, that is uh, obviously going to be a fun game, and I, I should have the opportunity to attend it if I so choose. 
And then I would be in Seattle, which would be uh, just a stone's throw away, just about 150 miles from the gorge. So I could hit the Sunday Dave Matthews on the way back and then have a little Labor Day on Monday to recover. That sounds like a great plan. Mm. I'm conflicted because Montana State opens their football season in Laramie, uh, Laramie, Wyoming. Brent Vegan, the new Montana State football coach, uh, coached the last seven seasons at Wyoming. I also have an associate and a great friend of mine who works at Montana State who is a University of Wyoming alum who has always wanted me to go to Laramie with him, and this will be the first opportunity for me to do that from a professional perspective. So the right choice in terms of the coverage for Skyline Sports would be to go watch Brent Vegan's first game as the head coach of the Bobcats against the team he used to coach in and enjoy myself in Laradice with my good friend Bill. But I'm conflicted because going to Seattle and going to Husky Stadium where I used to have season tickets once upon a time and then coming back uh, and hitting up Dave Matthews sounds pretty darn good too. I don't know. What should I do? Uh, I say go west, young man. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe we'll have an opportunity to send somebody else to Laramie. I don't know. You get, you get a little, you, you get a little Grizz. You get a little Pac-12 love. You get yeah. a little Seattle love. Yeah. Bringing back some Ivers. Um, Ivers. Then, dude, hey, baby. Yeah. It's okay. I was waiting for you. I was waiting for you to catch, latch on to that. And then, um, I don't know, man. Come home and. Go, go see a show. When was the last time you went to a concert, especially that, pre-pandemic? That, that is on, definitely man. true. There's a, Come on. there's a lot of things in the works here. We, I have a lot of things in the works at both Skyline Sports as well as ESPN Missoula, too, so stay tuned for that. We'll just give you that as a flat tease. I know that this is going to be a weekend where you're probably lounging, relaxing, in the heat, out of the heat, whatever. But go check out SkylineSportsMT.com. It's awesome. I haven't done this in a long time. I used to love doing long-form journalism stuff. I still do. I just have not embarked on a project, or I not really had a project worth embarking on. We've done our, our Grizz Greats podcast series, both Grizz Greats, the coaching tree, and Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 95 national champions. Both those podcast series, which were a total of about 50 episodes, uh, sort of took up the time that I would usually spend on long-form writing pieces. Well... I had the distinct pleasure and uh, unique experience of heading to the NCAA tournament when uh, this this March, as many of you loyal listeners heard, we broadcast live from the NCAA tournament, uh, this show both Friday and Monday of that weekend. And uh, a completely unique event with the fact that it was a single-site tournament and the fact that there was no uh, hardly any fans there and it, the logistics were unbelievable. Riley Corcoran, voice of the Grizz, and myself, we went to 14 games in four days, and it was an awesome experience. Well, I took comprehensive notes with Riley's help, and then uh, I had planned on writing sort of a personal essay about this experience. Well, this turned into a monster, and I've been writing it and rewriting it and rewriting it, and it's why I've not written nearly as much as I usually do at SkylineSportsMT.com. The point of the story is I worked on this thing for four months. This is the weekend it's going to print at SkylineSportsMT.com. So the first edition is up. It's going to be a five-part series. Montanans in the Madness is what we're titling the series. <laughs> but the theme of the whole thing is two parts. One, the opportunity that still exists in America and how uh, important that is for us to remember. But more importantly, how special it is that we live in a place like Montana and all the ties and influences, even if we think Montana is off the beaten path and we think Montana does not have much of an influence. In fact, I wrote 12,000 words about all of the Montana influences that we ran into at the NCAA tournament. So if you're looking uh, for something to do while you're hanging, chilling, whatever, go check out SkylineSportsMT.com and check out that long-form piece. Is Paul George rewriting the narrative of his career? Rajim Subra, Coulter, Nuanas, Nuanas Now will tell you more and what we think right after this on 102.9 ESPN Missoula.
Sportsbet Montana is powered by the Montana Lottery. Join in on the excitement for Sportsbet Montana by betting on your favorite sports and teams, both collegially and professionally. There are multiple ways to bet, including in-game, which gets you into the action live as the game unfolds, and parlay betting, where you could have a chance to win big. Sportsbet Montana is a secure and interactive way to win while watching your favorite sports. Bets can be placed securely on the mobile app while at an authorized Sportsbet Montana location or by using the Sportsbet Montana kiosk located at approved vendors. Montana bettors have wagered more than $28 million since Sportsbet Montana launched almost a year ago, and in that time, bettors have won more than $25 million. Sportsbet Montana's retail partners have more than $1.7 million in commission. Head on down to your authorized Sportsbet Montana locations and get in on the fun today. ESPN Radio Missoula. Wind of Fire. It's one of the best wedding songs of all time. September can keep it. That's a good song, but this is way better. Now, I'm going to tell you and Tommy, tonight, go home and listen to the song Reasons. Reasons, okay. By Earth, Wind, and Fire. Okay. That will be, when you when you hear my boy hit that note, you're going to be like, Rajin was right. Hey, shout out to my guy, Scotty Palmer, uh, his sons, Jason Ty, one of, some of my best friends growing up. And uh, Scotty grew up in the heart of the disco era. And, and, you know, he's, he's just a Montana boy from Frenchtown, Montana, but he has the most soulful record collection you could ever imagine. We used to get into these things when we were in high school. So we got the full dose of Barry White, oh, yeah. Earth, Wind, and Fire, mm. um, Cool in the Gang, yes, please. Sly and the Family Stone. One of my, so underrated, so one of my underrated. favorite favorites of all time. Yeah. But Earth, Wind, and Fire is great, but I, I man... That is my favorite Earth, Wind, and Fire song, but I'll, call, I'll, 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 I'll do my homework. Reasons. Reasons, baby. Gotta love the it. The reasons why we're here. Nuwana is now 1029 ESPN Missoula, SWX Montana Television. Rajim Seabrook joining me, Coulter Nuanas, here in studio broadcasting to you from the Northwest Motorsport Studio. Happy to have Northwest Motorsport on board, nwmsrocks.com. That's nwmsrocks.com. Go check out the largest inventory of trucks anywhere in the Pacific Northwest. The Los Angeles Clippers uh, entered the NBA playoffs in a dire situation, not because they uh, were any sort of hurt yet, and not because they had any sort of drama yet, but because (laughs) they traded all of their future assets, basically, two summers ago to load up for the last two years. And last year, they fell short of the conference finals, which put all of the pressure in the world on Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and the rest of the Los Angeles Clippers franchise. Well... Then Kawhi Leonard got hurt, and he has not returned to the fold during the playoffs, period. That was big-time SOS. I think a lot of people thought the Clippers were going to make another swift exit from the playoffs and uh, that we would then be talking about the dismantling of this team. Where do they go next? Do they keep these guys together? If you make your little two-year run, you have no tangible future, uh, immediate future, because of your basically no draft picks coming up in in the next couple drafts. Where Where do you go? Well, That narrative then was accentuated when the Phoenix Suns put the Clippers backs against the wall with a 3-1 series lead in the Western Conference Finals. Dondre Ayton has been uh, the breakout star, I would say, of this NBA playoffs. I think some guys have had their stars go from star to superstar, like Trey Young. But Dondre Ayton is a guy that I think people were skeptical about him as a former number one pick who has really blossomed during these NBA playoffs. 
All of that said, facing elimination the other night, Paul George had arguably his greatest playoff performance. Paul George has taken so much scrutiny. Paul George was pinned as this up-and-coming star in Indiana who then went to a big market and uh, I guess first then teamed up with Russell Westbrook, couldn't get it done, then went to a big market, came home to Los Angeles, and hasn't been able to get it done yet. But I think that Paul George, he drives me crazy sometimes. I think sometimes he's just so soft. I think he's mentally weak. But then he goes out and drops 41-16 and 16 like he did in an elimination game, and it keeps the Clippers alive. So where are you at with Paul George? I just feel like Paul George has never, it's going to sound weird, he can't escape his own shadow that he's never cast upon himself. Does that make sense at all? He can't escape himself because he is somewhat soft. He is somewhat soft-spoken. He is kind of, I'm going to go where the wind blows me, you know, and it just has not anchored himself as what I would think with his talent, anchored himself as, I'm going to put this on my shoulders and carry a team. It's always someone else to help Paul George, or Paul George is there to help someone else. That's where I think that he is stuck in this spot. He's stuck in the Scotty Pippen proxy. Exactly. He's stuck in this spot where he is among the best number twos in the league. Easily. Can he be the number one? But then when he's winning elimination games almost single-handedly, it's hard to say that he's not... I don't think he's a number one. I don't think if Paul George is your best player, you can win the NBA title. I don't. I'm going to agree. But I do think that he is the, the he's the guy that is a two that gives you the... that could, is the best of those guys that can lead you. I don't know if... Clay Thompson is your your best player if you can win an NBA championship. I think that Paul George and Clay Thompson, I think Paul George has a better chance of leading you by himself, though, even though I don't think that Paul George is better than Clay Thompson. Does that make sense? No, it does. It does. It's 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 the sum of the parts around you, right? right? So when 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 we talk about someone like Paul George, it is hard to assess and ascertain where are you and where are you not. Like he sure. just he flashes and then he recedes. He he's a tide. He ebbs and he flows. Imagine if Instead of teaming up with first Russell Westbrook, which I think is a bad combination just in terms of their stylistic games. Yeah. And because Paul George is sort of passive and <laughs> Westbrook is, is just, aggressive, aggressive. I mean, like demonstrably pedal the metal full on the most aggressive. I mean, he's he's overly he's, he's it's it's a detriment to him how aggressive he is. Yes. But bad combo. I also think that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are a bad combo. Really bad combo. Almost too many similarities and personalities and both on need the, the ball. team. And they both need the ball in their hand. They're both great perimeter defenders, but they also have no rim protection on that team. Nope. That would be that's their missing factor. Yes, sir. But imagine if Paul George would have done what everybody thought he was going to do when he first left Indiana. No pit stop in Oklahoma City. No Los Angeles Clippers. Instead, he went to the Los Angeles Lakers. Imagine Paul George on that Lakers team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. He's a now, stud. Now he's the best number three in NBA history. I mean, he's given James Easy. Worthy a run as the number three Easy. in the history of the league. He also could be a, a stretch shooter, just like he does so well. Mm-hmm. He could be a great perimeter defender, take a lot of ease off LeBron James's yep. uh, back. And then he, then he also would have a rim protector, perhaps the best rim protector in the league, in mm-hmm. Anthony Davis. I, I like where you're going with it. And what it also does is it insulates him between both of those guys, which I think he may really enjoy because then he doesn't have to speak out or be something that he's not and when he flashes you know 41 and 16 it's not an issue because you got you got Batman and Superman surrounding you where are you at with um, Trey Young right now I 
I'm just the injury was weird. It was like, weird. Like it was just very obscure. I I, I like him. I like to me, he's one of the next dudes oh, no in question. the league, if no not question. already. No question. Um the market he plays in takes away from him being known. You think? A see, little, see, a little I, bit. I think that he, the fact that he has so much street in his game, though, the fact that he has so much globetrotter in his game, so to speak, is perfect for Atlanta. I think the NBA needs to stop being scared of promoting Atlanta. Atlanta is a phenomenal basketball city. Atlanta, it's a phenomenal city. Atlanta is a phenomenal, phenomenal city. Right, exactly. And Atlanta is probably the most prominent city in terms of black America in, in the United States. That is then pinned with NBA. If they if Trey Young b- continues to ascend as a superstar, I think that he would fit perfectly with Atlanta. It's why Michael Vick was so perfect in Atlanta as well. I think Trey Young could be that sort of a star, talent aside, production aside, just because of his style in the city that he plays in. No, I, from that perspective, as my third eye opens up, uh, <laughs> yeah, I uh, I'm a, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with that. I think that from that perspective alone, he's probably in the best market. Maybe outside of somewhere like Chicago or New York. True. Th- those will both be good fits for him as well, no yeah. question. Trey Young is, is such a dichotomy right now because I think he's exploded onto the scene. He's had some of the, just in terms of pure statistical um, prolificness, I guess, he has had some of the biggest games. We, I mean, there's been very few 45-point, 10-assist games in the history of the playoffs. He's had multiple of those during this NBA playoffs. Let alone, not only that, but let alone coming out of Atlanta of all places. So now you... you Exactly. It gives credence to what you just said. All of a sudden, it makes you look at things a whole, much, much, much differently. Exactly. And so now he has... Um, he has the Atlanta Hawks in the Western Conference Finals. Yes. Or in the Eastern Conference Eastern. Finals. That, that in itself is an amazing accomplishment for him. If he could come back and lead them all the way. But I do think he's, he's also... Uh, he is. He's already starting to build the narrative you never want to have as a burgeoning and/or affirmed superstar, and that is as one that who is a whiner. He has a lot of antics. He does the shimmy shake when he shoots his wide open shots. I think some of that stuff is good. I think it's good for your your bravado and your brand and all those sort of things. But he also is a huge complainer, and that wears thin with a lot of NBA people because so many people gravitate away from the NBA because of these superstars being quote unquote prima donnas. Carmelo Anthony, anybody? I mean, LeBron James is taking this heat as much as anybody, man, because he LeBron James does put on a show. It is part of LeBron James uh, theatrics yeah. and antics and uh, hijinks, if you will, for lack of a better word. I think part of that is um, that's youth. That's part of that generation. There's that's, sure. part, that's part of it, and that's how I know I'm I'm starting to get older because like I look at that and I'm like, young man, what what are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? But again, that's. That's that's what it is. It's gimmicky. It's attention grabbing. A lot of NBA. And it's to, Trey Young. It's Trey Young. Trey being young. <laughs> a lot of NBA today. A lot of NFL tomorrow. Also give you an update on whatever goes down in the conference finals tonight. Tonight. Mr. Thing in the show you can find it on the podcast. Proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications, the Wingate by Wyndham Hotel, and Sports Bet Montana. Thanks so much to Tommy in the back for playing all the good tunes. Thanks so much to my good friend, Rajim Seabrook, swinging by to broadcast with me here on 1029 ESPN Missoula. It's Nuanas Now. We'll be back tomorrow, 4 p.m., our last show of the week, our first show of July. We'll see you then. In the meantime, be good.
Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia? When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org. 